0: This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Collapse of Materialism, Philip Camella. The concept of awakening permeates the world's religious and spiritual literature. We awaken to a new day, a new dawn, a new self. We arise from the attachment to the material world, to our true being. We awaken from a deep slumber of ignorance to enlightenment where the sun always shines. And after we think through these things, maybe it comes, it dawns on us, using the word dawn there, that waking up in the morning may just be a metaphor for a spiritual awakening. I always think that way. And it really, and it doesn't seem like that. Each day starts anew. It offers a chance to start fresh we separate ourselves from the attachments of the prior day maybe we had an undue amount of stress or anger fear all these resentment all these bad things so awakening in the morning i always think is a metaphor for this spiritual awakening and there's a lot of books a lot of discussions literature as i said about awakening and i think the challenge here is to express this concept in increasingly understandable down-to-earth terms. So it starts to take hold and I think this is important because I think a, I think spiritual awakening is is actually a true concept and it's something that we need in our current world. My guest today is Omoda Ma who's written an amazing book. It's called Radical Awakening and I like the the juxtaposition of those two terms because I do think we need a radical awakening and this book I think is one of the best uh, books on the topic that I've seen as she gives this topic energy passion and truth and we're going to get into this a little bit today uh, Naomoda is she's a spiritual teacher and author she's had uh, direct experiences of awakened awareness uh, she started in 2012 speaking from silence in small gatherings in the UK today she offers retreats private meetings to so a global A growing global uh, community. She's written two prior books, How to Find God in Everything and Change Your Life, Change Your World. Her new book is a sort of a revised edition, I think, of one of her earlier books, but we'll get into all this. Um, Omada, welcome to the show and thanks for being with us.
1: Hi, Philip. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: And as I was saying, uh, this this book, uh, Radical Awakening, does things that a lot of uh, I think books in this area try to do, and I think one of the benefits of it is that it is filled filled with um not only sort of spiritual or or real authentic advice but it ties it into our culture uh poverty global warming um, homelessness. With with this this spiritual um, urging, and it also has an underlying um, tone of 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 science. It also connects to what we understand and have learned about how quantum theory, for example, affects all this. But before we we get into this a little bit, why don't you tell the listener a little bit about how you came to write your books, and particularly. Uh, your new book how did this occur what was your inspiration
1: well for me it's been a really long journey um, from my late 20s um, right up until when I wrote the book which I guess I was in my mid 40s and that was my spiritual journey my journey of awakening which which happened over those years but there was one particular um, circumstance that really took uh, took things to a whole new level and uh, I write about that in the book that was I guess the inspiration for the book um, or it certainly gave birth to the book, that's what it felt like um, and it was at a time in my life where I had stopped the spiritual search um, and I was in a good place in myself, kind of surrendered to life and the flow, and very open, and um, and and then, and then this deeper darkness emerged in me. It kind of revealed itself as a as a existential black hole, and this period of my life over a few months really took me to a very deep level where the surrender was much, much deeper, much more profound. It kind of went all the way. And that, I I could describe that more if if that's useful, but I describe it a lot in the book um, as to how that was experienced. But I'd just like to say at this point that what... The outcome of it was. The outcome was a profound awakening that was not an awakening experience. It wasn't a state that comes and goes. It wasn't waking up and then going back to sleep again. It seemed to be the, 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 the cutting of the cord of all separation, um, the cutting of the cord of all victim consciousness, the untying or unraveling of the egoic knot of separate self, the identification with separate self. It dissolved all of that and that was very profound not only in the experience, which was a a very brief experience, um, but also the ramifications of that which unfolded over a number of years after that
0: the one of the themes that is in your book that i also think is a theme of our modern society is this concept of separation and you uh, have a discussion in the beginning of your book about how a common sort of politically correct way to approach god is to separate god from who we are and to me the way this p- plays out is it's sort of the scientific approach you separate god from yourself you come to this conclusion well that doesn't make any sense that's a childish belief god doesn't exist and then and then you go in this big circle and you you come to the realization that god is within and and so that that i thought was something that um was was very uh well done and i'd like you to to talk a little bit about that because that's sort of the theme of of your book and you you know your the original title was how to find god in everything so so what is what, what was your own uh, personal sort of experience with this with this concept here Be, uh you know as professionals we all go through this and and i like you to talk a little bit about sort of maybe for, as, a, as a commentary on our culture, the separation of, of, of who we are from God and what impact that's having upon us?
1: Well, the separation from God is, is, um, is no different to the separation from everything. <laughs> yeah, uh, And that's what we do in the un, unilluminated state we believe ourselves to be separate. It's the core wound of separation that we come into the world with as we are born. We're not only separated from the oceanic consciousness of the womb, we're separated from the body of the mother, we're separated from the unconscious knowing of ourselves as formlessness. So as formlessness or consciousness descends into form, it forgets itself and identifies with the separate form, whatever that form is. And in humans, that creates a lot of suffering, that creates a lot of pain as we go through our lives. Um, And that's what the spiritual search is, is the waking up to that core you can call it a belief, but it's kind of deeper than a belief. It's a core sense. It's a core feeling of separation. We actually feel separate as we interact with the world. And then, of course, on the bigger scale, if you like, or the bigger dimension, we, we sense ourselves. We feel ourselves. We believe ourselves to be separate from what we call God. God and of course then the whole thing about God gets um, colored by cultural conditioning and historical conditioning and spiritual conditioning and religious conditioning. So that's where we have a huge blind spot. So whether we believe in God or don't believe in God, whether we believe in spirit or don't believe in spirit, whether we believe in consciousness or don't believe in consciousness, Mm. there's still a sense of separation Uh, from the totality from the totality and really what that's pointing to is our separation from beingness from essential beingness and that's a felt sense not a belief system
0: yeah i think that you you touched upon something here now i'm going to add i'm going to uh, put a couple layers on this uh that i think is important that i I've, I've come to and i i did not disclose uh which i should that your thinking tracks mine a lot which always helps um but and i i'm going to show you now where there's some where there's some similarities here um folks don't read um philosophy very much and oh, nor nor for for that matter um do many people read science books? And but there's hap, there's a there's a um, common issue here that that to me relates to this. And as for example, Immanuel Kant, who is very difficult to understand, but he had this he had this idea that the mind is built with certain preconceived um, uh, categories or ways of looking at the world that were sort of inbred. And one of them was that we need to view the world in three dimensions. Uh, or space. Space was a uh, it was a it's an uh, inherent faculty of the mind. And when you read the books about the fine tuning of the universe, it's interesting that one of the oddities of the universe is that it's three dimensions. It could be two. It could be fifteen. It could be one. And it's pretty humorous thinking. Well, if, if it was two dimensions, we we would live in a flat line society. Mm-hmm. But where I'm going with this is that separation to me is necessary to have experience and that was Kant's point and that's what I'm saying here separation is necessary if we were one amorphous blob or we were one dimension we couldn't experience other people we couldn't experience the sky we couldn't experience nature and so I think and I think this is what you're saying but this but to be clear what I'm saying is that three dimensions space separates is necessary for experience but then we come around in this big circle and we realize that we are part of the world uh that it's not that's not an, that there's not an absolute separation and so i think it's a beautiful it's a beautiful story omoda and i think that this is this to me is the awakening so what what is your thought on that
1: yes i'm totally with you <laughs> um, yes as we are born into form and therefore into three-dimensional reality as all forms are born into, whether it's a tree or a flower or a human being or a star or a butterfly um, in order to experience three-dimensional reality as we know it um, or let's say reality as we know it then we have to experience separation as you say we wouldn't know left from right up or down you or me inside from outside if we did not experience separation or perceive separation so it's absolutely necessary in navigating reality as we know it as long as we're alive as long as we're in form so from that point of view it's necessary it's not a mistake um, and it's not something that we need to get rid of well we can't get rid of but (laughs) right and then at some point in our evolution as an individual or as a species we come to experience that separation as the source of suffering, it's not the source of suffering on a physical dimension, on a physical level we need that function in order to manoeuvre the world otherwise we'd bump into each other or fall off the edge of a cliff <laughs> or whatever Yeah. Uh, or drown in the ocean. Um, So we need that function. But when it comes to psychological separation, and we as human beings have that faculty of psychological self-reflection, which animals, as far as we know, don't have, um, then it becomes a source of suffering, psychological suffering, because we believe ourselves to be separate from the totality of life, from not that we're part of life, that that is a kind of oneness, but I'm, and I think you'll agree with me, speaking at a deeper level here, that we are not separate, that, that it's not about oneness in the sense that we're part of the interconnected web of life, but actually that we are life, that life and I, life and you, life and everything is actually inseparable, and that really it's the deepest realization and it's not a knowledge, it's not a learning it's not something that we can read or understand, although we can do that as well, but we must know in our deepest deepest being as direct experience that consciousness and I'm going to use a lot of different words yeah. for different people listening consciousness, the totality life um, formlessness Spirit, all of that exists prior to form.
0: Consciousness doesn't
1: arise from form, form arises from consciousness. When we really know that, then we can incorporate, include and live the truth of duality, which is another word for separation, duality within non-duality,
0: Yeah, yeah, and I that think that is you know, awakening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it's, I would. It, that, I think you're. I, I would completely agree with you. This is Philip Camella. This is conversations beyond science and religion. Uh, speaking with Amoda uh, Ma, and we're talking about curing the separation uh, between who we are in the world. And this is this is a in some ways profound but I hope a perfectly natural topic and that's the key thing here because what gives me confidence that this is gonna work is that this is a natural move a natural evolution and you use it in your book you you call it conscious consciousness evolution and there's other ways to put it but I, I like that's perfectly fine with me that we forget. This is my big problem with Darwinian evolution. By the way, to raise another controversial topic, is that there's not just biological evolution, which I don't necessarily agree with, but there is also consciousness evolution, and that is something that permeates the New Age literature. But where is this heading? Well, to me, it's heading to realizing that we are one with reality, that um, that we are that we are in the flow. That's another way to put it. And really, Omuda, it's 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 a difficult thing for people to get their heads around. I, I remember um, g- giving a talk uh, when my when my first book came out, um, to have it at the end of science, and someone came up to me and said, "Well." all this talk about oneness I mean I don't feel one I don't feel one with anything I mean what is that all about you know that and I, I and you may have had the same question it's a difficult question to answer and maybe <laughs> and um. but it's it's not as hard as people think right it, it's not it's not as if you have to change your entire being mindset it really is something that is more natural than unnatural so so how how would you answer that question to somebody who says well I don't feel one with the world
1: it's a very um good question um so there's a there's a couple of things i'd like to kind of respond to with that um one is it's not about the mind it's not about thinking ourselves into oneness right because there's a lot of um uh, belief systems that talk about oneness, but they are simply belief systems. Perhaps they're more positive belief systems than believing in separation, but um, they're still belief systems. And you can't really, if if you if you want true awakening, if anybody wants true awakening, then reality has to be met not with the mind but with the heart. Um, and I'm just going to bring in the second point which links into this which is going back to um, your mention of the original title of this book when it was first published which was quite a few years ago although this is a revised edition so right. it has some changes to it and additions but the original title of how to find God in everything and I have a quote at the beginning of uh, part one of the book from Rabin Andras tego um, In order to find God, you must welcome everything. Now, that's a very profound uh, phrase to contemplate. I I discovered it after my awakening because it really spoke to me. And it links into what we're saying. In order to find God, in other words, let's rephrase that. In order to know yourself as the truth of who you are, not as a separate self, but as one with the totality of what is of reality, of consciousness, of that that exists prior to form and separation, in order to know yourself as that, and that is freedom, that is liberation, that is what we call enlightenment, you must welcome everything. Welcome everything means meeting the world, not from the mind, not from the thinking, not from the belief system, but not from knowledge, but from I hesitate even to call it the heart because that has certain misunderstandings, but from a deeper space within that is, we can call it the heart, it's the spiritual heart, which is really another way of saying openness. Meeting reality, meeting life, meeting everything from openness, because in that openness, which means that the mind does not grasp onto it to judge it, to categorize it, to separate it as right or wrong, good or bad, I believe or I don't believe, I understand or I don't understand. It's a dimension beyond any duality, beyond any separation that the mind creates, yeah. If we meet reality, whether that's the reality of the world that we experience or our inner reality of our own feelings, our own emotions, our own sensations, which is all there is really, then we have the capacity or there is the capacity for all that division, which is an inner division, to dissolve. It dissolves in openness. It dissolves in non-judgment. It dissolves in staying open in an unknown space. Unknown space of consciousness. It's unknown because the mind doesn't grasp it to try and categorize it, which is all the mind does.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It's a deeper kind of knowing.
0: Yeah. Well, I, and I that, would.
1: That's a surrender. That's a yeah. surrender of the the, the, the mind that wants to interpret reality. Yeah. That's profound. Yeah. That's
0: profound. Yeah. No, I, I think that 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 is that is good. And there's something. I mean. Part of this uh, is is that we are also in the process of understanding who we are right now as we're talking your book, my book my art your your blogs my blog we we are everybody in this area we are we are to me we are God in process um, where we're going through this and we're trying to articulate it. And and I know it's got something to do with breaking down barriers. It's got it's got something to do with breaking down innate beliefs, uh, cultural stigma, political correctness. It's got it's got a lot to do with that. But one of the things that's coming across to me in my I've had a mini sabbatical, not from work, but from but from um, sort of writing a little bit as I'm thinking through this that. It's deeds, and who and and who was that that talked about um, one of the Indian uh, philosophers, spiritual teachers? That it's really deeds that makes a difference. And you do it, and you mention it in your book where uh, brotherhood or sisterhood is is a function of acting as oneness, uh, morality. That's when when we structure society to feed the 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 homeless the shelter or the shelter the homeless feed the the um the star the starving kids uh and educate the masses when we start acting as one that is where that is uh, that i think is where real change comes from but in order to get to that point you have to change your inner being you have to change your perspective you know it's shocking to me we talked about the, the separation between who we are and, and the world, nature, and God. And, you know, right now, complete political correctness. If you listen to the debates in, in this country, the presidential debates, um, you know, to be elected, you have to have the orthodox view of God. No, no new ager is going to get elected president right at least in the next go around here and and to me you are sort of cementing in to our mindset this -hmm. separation which is not a good thing you know and so to me and this this is a struggle i personally have which is which is do you is this only a grassroots movement or do you have to change it from the top down i mean what's your view on that i mean your book is to me it's a it's from the it's from the individual to the whole it's sort of a flowering kind of a thing my approach is top down I think you've got to change the thought leaders now uh, so Mm -hmm. so what is your spin on that and I'm not and I I'm I'm not saying one's you know I I could be wrong but but my stick my thing is Mm -hmm. is changing the thought leaders but grassroots is essential so so so, what do you? What do you? Is your is your vision ultimately you change the person, you change the world?
1: I don't see. How, I don't see how it could be any different. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it's it's a nice idea to change it top down, and I think that's probably what a lot of us would like because then that hands the authority over to authority <laughs> to right. those in authority. Right. But in some sense. um that's a that's a kind of infantile view, because in in reality, when has that ever happened? How has that ever happened, and does that actually serve? Yes, yes, it has to filter up, yeah yeah, but I, I think it's a filtering up rather than a filtering down and mm. and awakening happens yes, like a flower it flowers. It's like the totality of humanity, and we're including everybody, the politicians and the economists and those who run the country, everything. every The totality is like a tree. And each individual that awakens to the truth of oneness is like a little bud on that tree that just kind of pops up at the right time, a little shoot. Yeah. Um, And then eventually that becomes a flower and the whole tree comes into bloom. But you can't really say, well, that tree, the flowers should grow at the top first and then kind of the petals rain down on the bottom or the other way around even. Yeah. It's it's really going back to, I think, what you said earlier. You mentioned it's all very natural. It's, yeah, awakening is natural. It's organic. And we actually ultimately can't control it. All we can do is take responsibility for our sincerity, inner sincerity, in turning towards that which is true beyond all inherited beliefs and conditioned responses. When each of us has the courage to take that responsibility, then suffering, the suffering of separation, psychological suffering which creates is the root cause of all ignorance and war and terror and darkness in the world transforms into the natural state of oneness we don't have to believe in oneness we know oneness because we are oneness yeah and then and then naturally our actions become outpourings or alignments of that inner oneness there's no more inner division now we don't know when and how that will happen in each individual. All we can do is take responsibility for that in ourselves.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that the the nice thing is is that is that we've got sort of a army of people writing books, giving speeches, attacking from all directions. Uh, one of to me, if you look through history, there's been certain epics of mind changes and. One of them is the the Newtonian um physics worldview, the materialistic worldview. Darwin obviously is a big one. Uh, Karl Marx uh changed the world uh for better or worse, probably for worse, with mm-hmm. the com with, with, with the communist manifesto. Uh he got people all riled up against um you know the bourgeoisie. So, so there is there is something to be changing the top uh, down. But I do. But but I also think, and I've said this, I think, on a show or two recently, where it's sort of like a, a, a leading authority figure now giving a talk about materialism or separation, and no one comes to the lecture because the grassroots have changed their mind. <laughs> you know that's sort of that's so no one's buying the story anymore and so well, that and so, would be good. so so that's really so that's really uh you know the other way to look at it i mean so maybe maybe this is it's like a wave you know you know and eventually eventually the wave is going to flood out the naysayers i mean that that's my hope this is philip Camella. this is conversations beyond science and religion i'm speaking with Amoda uh, ma who's written this fantastic new book called radical awakening and we're delving into some of these issues about how to make awakening real and what it really means and separation between who we are and um who we think we are and there's a lot of these concepts um which we're trying to bring down to earth one of the one of the nice dichotomies that you talk about in your book that I'd like you to expand a little bit about here, talk about, is this concept between horizontal and vertical thinking uh, and th- it's sort of a new spin and I thought it also provided a nice way to understand some of these concepts we're talking about, Amoda, so why don't you talk about what what, what you mean by this horizontal and vertical
1: um. Um, Well, I actually speak about this a lot, it- um, uh, this language, of, you know, this, this description of horizontal and vertical, and I think it speaks to a lot of people. That's the um, the feedback I get is that it really speaks to people. Again, on the much deeper level than just a mind understanding, it's 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 it's, it's got a visual description to it. Yeah. It's got a sensory somehow. It, people sense it viscerally. Uh, perhaps it speaks to the truth in people. Um, so. Um, you know, when I speak of the horizontal uh, dimension, the horizontal reality I'm really speaking of the egoic mind I'm speaking of the ego mind, the mind that, or the part of the the part of the mind it's not the total mind, but the part of the mind that we call ego which is always moving from past to future it's never resting in the now It's never still. It's always in movement, in motion, because it's always running away from what it's scared of and running towards what it thinks it wants. So it lives in the dream of past pain and the dream of future hope. And if we're really um, intimate with our own experience of life, then we can be honest that this movement is actually always here. There's always a uh, subtle, and sometimes not so subtle, resistance, resistance to what is. Or a running forwards to grasp onto some imaginary, uh, better place. Yeah, and it can be, like I said, subtle or not so subtle. And that's the ego. That's the egoic mind born out of a survival mechanism. So it's the running towards and running away from that serves us in the physical world, back to the three-dimensional reality that we were speaking of, where the survival of the physical form absolutely relies on this function of this this particular mechanism of running away and running towards. But when it comes to the psychological um, reality, the psychological life, that's what we call the ego because it does this running away and running towards on a psychological level where it doesn't serve a purpose it just creates stress (laughs) that's what (laughs) we call stress and the majority of humanity lives in some degree of stress some degree of resistance to what is some degree of misery some degree of wanting more of believing there's a brighter reality in the next moment but not quite in this moment And that might be fine when um, it's uh, imagining something about its life, but when it's to do with not accepting what what is here as one's inner experience, then it creates resistance, it creates closure, it creates tightness, it creates tension, and it creates suffering, what we call psychological suffering. It creates drama, it creates a story of this shouldn't be happening, And if there's a story of this shouldn't be happening, then we are victims of what is happening, what is really happening. We've become a victim, we've become a poor me, and so we are then, if you like, further away from our essential nature as oneness. That's That's the separation itself. So we can describe that as a horizontal movement of mind. And when we Awareness or even spiritual inquiry or awakeness, the question of what is truly here and am I truly willing to be here to meet what is here, allows us to start to see this mechanism in ourselves, operating in ourselves. Now, that's the beginning of awakening and it's the beginning of healing all inner division. Um, That's what it means in order to find God welcome everything. So um, when we see this horizontal movement of mind, there is the possibility, and this is where we have a conscious choice, there is a possibility not to stop that movement, because it's the inherent nature of egoic mind, and you can't stop that it will stop itself (laughs)
0: Mm.
1: but what does happen in seeing it is we have the conscious choice to be willing to not follow that movement with our attention in other words not to follow that movement and create a story out of it Mm. which is where the poor me comes in where the drama comes in where the suffering comes in to see it but in some ways, to sacrifice that, and that sacrifice is just a, a kind of, uh, let's say, a willingness to say, "I stop following this movement." Yeah, so it hurts. It hurts to, in some ways. Yes, it hurts because it's like a crucifixion. You stop in the in, in the in the in 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 the very moment in the presence of what is. Which is exactly what we're trying to avoid by following this movement. And in that stopping, there is the possibility, it's not a guarantee, but there's the possibility to fall into a vertical dimension of being, which is exactly what it says. It's a fall into beingness, which is what we can call presence or stillness or spaciousness or peace. There's no movement in it, it's fully present here. And that's the death
0: of the ego. Hmm. That's interesting. Well, let me let me um, explore this a little bit because the the notion of um, horizontal, to me, and I could be wrong about this, but it had this feeling of superficiality of of narrowness uh, that you're not experiencing the full depth of of life. You're sort of on one on one level limited by a ceiling and a floor that was that was my it's sort of like you're you're living your life in a building as opposed to outside uh, is that is that what it is or 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 is it something different than that
1: well that's a nice description i like that um i i think that's the outcome of it it's yeah. the outcome of the inner experience that i'm describing here right. it is like It is superficial on one level because you're living on the surface of reality. The surface of reality is believing that form is real. Believing that your thoughts are real. Believing that your um, sense of separate self is real. And then on that basis, the whole of your life uh, follows, which is one of fear and doubt and regret and anxiety and grasping, and uh, all of this, yeah? Which yeah. is yeah. the majority of humans. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I <laughs> that's mean, what they're, the world's they're built on it. Right. And in that sense, that is superficial because we're living on the surface. So there's no depth to life. There's no, that's, the, the oneness is found in the depth there's no richness to life there's no uh resting in, in in the depths of being which is where real peace comes from where real fulfillment is so then the search is happening on the surface yeah. fulfillment is 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 something that you think you know what you want in order to feel fulfilled yeah. and that can be a material thing um or it can be a psychological thing you 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 you, you you think that fulfillment will come from having only positive thoughts well no it, fulfillment comes from seeing that thinking is not who you are
0: <laughs> yeah now let me let me just put this in a different in different words uh, and i it's, i think hopefully it might combine some of the things we're talking about and also lead to um another topic uh, and that is if you if you separate yourself from the world from god from um other people if you view us as as um sort of robots uh, on a playing field then uh, then you do to me that's a horizontal kind of limited existence and example being in, in those times of distress of of anxiety of depression uh you if you just pray to somebody outside of you to come save you to help you the the recovery may not work because you're not tapping the right part of the world you, you so so you're sort of a to me it's like taking a drug, a, a psychological drug, when the problem is you need to meditate or you need to sit around and be calm for a while. You know, you're sort of tapping the wrong source of power. And and so viewing this as more of a depth, as a, as a um, you know, finding your true self, uh, eliminating the separation, finding the source within, all these kinds of things, uh, I think lead to a more healthy perspective. Uh, and and so uh, that's why I think this vertical versus horizontal is a very, very nice way to put it. So we need to be more vertical. That's the moral of, of the story here, right? We need to yes. move. Right. <laughs> yes. And,
1: and, and again, what you're describing here is, is another, um, uh, I guess, angle on the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is, yes, we look for the answer, the solution to our problems, whether they're physical problems of pain or or, or psychological problems of pain. Or, yeah. or sense of lack or whatever it is, um, on the horizontal dimension. So we look for the pill, the potion, or the prayer, or the anything. We yeah. can, it can be material, it can be spiritual. But mm. whenever we're looking for that fulfillment, that uh, solution for our pain from an external source, then when we are on the wrong track, as you say, we're looking in the horizontal dimension and nothing in the horizontal dimension can be ultimately uh, fulfilling or healing. It can be temporarily fulfilling or healing, yes. but not permanently, not, not in an abiding state. Yeah. And so the search, which is what the spiritual, ultimate spiritual inquiry is, is to go within and discover that which you are because that's the only solution and healing because in that vertical dimension of being all searching for something to make you better than you already are on the deepest level of being not in the circumstances of your life um will 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 not you know will not fulfill that it's only in the deepest dimension of being that we are truly fulfilled and at peace and at one beyond and beneath all circumstances. And the beauty and the magic is that when we are in the vertical rooted or anchored in the deepest dimension of being, then whatever solution is required on the surface level usually comes to us as an insight if that is needed
0: there's something here that I think is good that it needs to be stated which is which is in your book and it's in other books uh, it goes along the lines of you know uh, open yourself up to the true nature of the world and the universe will answer your needs or something like that there's some kind you know so, sort of like this connection when you're connected things things flow better and that is I don't know whether that is a promise a law or a hope but it doesn't make any difference to me because because it it it's more real and it's it it does happen and i i talk about the celestine prophecy now and then uh which was one of the earlier new age books and it didn't it wasn't the it wasn't exactly a literary ma- masterpiece but it it did say it did talk about you know when you're in tune with the flow of the universe, good things start happening or the synchronicities start happening more. And there is something to that, and I I do think it's it's something that to me, Amada, if if that comes out to be true, then that to me will be one of the drivers for this revolution evolution. I mean, it, and I that because all of a sudden you're getting this positive feedback you know and it's not just you know uh we're not just spinning our spiritual wheels here but we're actually getting some return on our on our new investment
1: yes and i'd just like to take that conversation a little bit further sure. if i may Sure, yes there is a flow that we experience of synchronicity uh, alignment uh, opportunity inspiration uh, and all of this, yes, there is a deeper flow that happens when we're rested in the vertical dimension because the inner and the outer come into alignment um, and there's a harmony in that and a rightness in that and a mystery in that that supports us. But I'm just gonna take it further by saying that true freedom, yeah, true freedom from suffering means there's no investment in an outcome. Mm. No investment in hope, no investment in salvation, no investment in good things happening. Mm. Yeah, I'm not saying that they don't, I'm saying that they do. But our investment in the outcome is what prevents true freedom. Mm. And if we really, really, really want to know ourselves as one with the totality and be free of all psychological suffering that creates an inner division that then creates an outer division reflected in our personal lives and in the world, then we need to go all the way and surrender or sacrifice all need or expectation for a particular outcome, even if it's a good outcome. And the paradox is that that is freedom. And that is peace, and that is love, and that is oneness, and that is harmony. Because even though good things do happen in that alignment, if we want to call them good, and I'm a little bit hesitant to use that word because that divides good from bad, um, because in that deeper dimension, everything is seen as good, even the bad things. yeah, Even yeah. the challenging things, even the difficult things. But we need to face, ultimately, death there is a death that's going to happen of the physical form and there is a death that happens in every moment if we're open to that and there is loss that happens in life there is change there is tragedy there is, you know, life continues to happen and we can't stop that just because we're spiritual (laughs) or open to oneness and that has to be faced so that even that is seen as one with God
0: yeah, you see there's liberation yeah. in that as well. Well, you see this is where this is where I I'm more radical than you are and <laughs> I'm probably more radical than anybody. But I part company at the death part of this. Um because I think that saying that death is inevitable after everything we've talked about is inconsistent. Uh because you talk about uh holographic uh map, the body being a holographic map, which is in your book. Um, you, we talk about quantum theory, that the world is really not made of particles, it's really energy or something else that's not particles, that there is no separation. So I think, I think death is as narr- an unnecessary narrative. I think physical death is an, un- is a, is an outcome of the materialistic separation narrative. And I think as long as you believe it's inevitable, it's going to be inevitable. But I I don't see the necessary part of it. That's where I part company with with you know with what you say here. And and it's to me to me it's it's not inevitable. We, we have to change the narrative and see where we go. And so this is so I I already said that I'm very radical on this. And I do I've written a little bit on this topic. But I, I think to be consistent, um, you have to say that if we are really spiritual, we're really, it's really holographic, it's really energy, that we we've never experienced a world <laughs> where the narrative has been changed, where we're vertical, we're living in a vertical, we're living in a world of no separation, we're living in a world where we nurture each other, um, feed the feed the starving shelter the home we, we've never experienced that so we don't know <laughs> so so i so this is so i i i wanted to bring that up at the end because this is where i part company i am crazy radical on this uh because uh, i have not given up uh the notion that physical death is inevitable so, so your
1: experience, uh, Philip, if I may ask, is that death doesn't exist in this moment. I'm not talking about a future vision or reality. I'm talking about now. I'm you s- haven't experienced death in any of your experience of life. There is no death happening. There is no death of the form. I,
0: I think that if—to say—I think that in order—see, where I think things head is that God has to act as one. Or being has to act as one, and beings never acted as one. We think we're in this mode of separation, and we're going to be in this mode of separation for a couple more decades, or whatever. Who knows how long? We we've never acted as one. We've never combined the power of being to change the world. We're we're it's we're sort of like whistling in the wind. We sort of think that if we change our mindsets and think happy thoughts, that's going to make us better people but the real message here we could change the world uh and so so i i think it's a it's more of a theory it to me it's an outcome of a theory it's like this you know it's like scientists you know our our materialistic scientists say that the the universe is going to die off in a couple billion years because the sun's going to run out of energy Uh, that's an outcome of their theories my theory is that we're going to have an increasingly better world because we're going to com- combine the power of God, so it's just an outcome of the theory. So, so I wanted to say that because I'm not afraid of saying it, and your book is called Radical Awakening, and so maybe I'm radical on steroids. I I, I don't know, but but anyways, mm-hmm. I, I, anyways, it's 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 a, it's a message. It's a message that. I am not afraid to talk about, and uh, frankly, there are, I think it's funny, you know, there's that saying in the um, Upanishads, was it, or maybe it's the Bhagavad Gita, where it says something like, there's this talk between these two, um, you know, teacher and a student, and he says, what's the most amazing thing in the world, and the teacher says, that, every, that that people see others die all around them, but each of us think that we're eternal. You know, it's a really, it's sort of like, well, that's a strange thought. So anyways, I, I i hold on to that. So anyways, I didn't want to, I just wanted to say that for for the, uh, sort of the, so, you know, sort of for the be pr- provocative here. But, sure. I mean, but, but I, it's interesting. I,
1: I, I totally get you. And, and I've been there myself. I've, yeah. I've had that belief system myself. But that's not what I'm talking about okay. here. I'm talking about freedom now. I and the inevitability. My mother passed away couple of years ago my cat passed away two weeks ago I'm, I'm just saying right now yes right now uh, yeah, the reality a... of form yes dissolving yes and actually in true rebel, in true uh, freedom and true liberation which is what we're talking about in true awakening the death of the form is not a problem because you know that everything is consciousness right we're all one so what dies The consciousness doesn't die. The consciousness reforms itself in another form. So that's oneness. Yes. That's oneness. We don't have to hold on to the form in order to be one. We don't have to hold on to form in order to be God. God is the totality. God is the beautiful, utterly devastating mystery of birth and death and dark and light. It's the duality within the non-duality. And that's what the mystery is. That's what the oneness is. So it's like not identifying with the form. And of course, on a human level, there is a loss that happens. I mean, if you've experienced the death of a, a mother or a child or, a, or, or even a beloved pet, you'll know that there's a loss. It's not a loss that has to create a story of poor me. It's not even a loss that has to believe that anything has, has been lost. But that's the human experience.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah and yes, then
1: yes. within that, In true awakeness, all of it is allowed, all of it is included, all of it is God moving through this amazing play called death and birth, and maybe that changes, maybe that transforms, maybe that evolves. Of course, anything is possible. Evolution is possible into dimensions and realities and worlds that we have no imagination or can only imagine, but I'm talking about freedom now. Yeah, freedom now, the reality of freedom not as an imagined future, but now as an awake individual which is the only power we have to change the world.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, I think that that is a healthy uh standpoint and I I'm a, I am ai do not know whether and, and, and we don't have to agree upon everything. It'd be no fun if we did, frankly. No, of course not. But but but, <laughs> but but to me part of this mission uh, that the royal, that the royal we is on is to advance the ball of understanding is to def- is to uh deflect the course change the course of our being our mindset towards some place that is more favorable and you know it's sort of like maybe we don't know what the goal is but nudging it in a better direction can't hurt and and so that is that is where we clearly are on the same page i believe uh, i mean i I think that a vision is is good. Uh, you talk about heaven being on earth um, and I think that 's maybe what you 're talking about and and perhaps at the close here, you could just elaborate a little bit about your notion of heaven on earth because it may capsulize what we 've just been talking mm-hmm. about here so what so what do you mean by heaven on earth i
1: 'm talking or pointing to what Jesus said. The kingdom of heaven is here, but you do not have eyes to see. That doesn't mean that we live in a perfect world. Right. It doesn't mean that we live in a world without death or suffering or tragedy. It means that your eyes are not clear, and you're seeing through the eyes that are conditioned, or, or it, it's a horizontal dimension to 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 grasp onto a future reality as a way of salvation. That doesn't mean that there isn't a movement towards um, uh, bettering or changing the world as it is, but that movement happens naturally when you act out of wholeness and no inner division. But you can't act out of no inner division unless you've cleared your eyes of all conditioned seeing even the dream of a brighter future the kingdom of heaven is here the light in you sees the light in the world the oneness in you sees the oneness in the world and that and the world is what is here now we can only live now and now and now and now and now yeah we can't live in the future because there is no future the future appears as the now and uh, that's what I'm really pointing yeah. to, and I yeah. believe that's what Jesus is pointing to. It's not saying that we live in a perfect world. There is no such thing as a perfect world, as long as there's form. this It's perfect and imperfect, yeah? Depending on, you know, whether you're looking at form or, or what's beneath form. Yeah, but I'm talking about a real present moment openness to what is that heals all division and allows love Oneness, beingness, presence—to move through you as you, in everything that you say, everything that you do, everything that you are—and that's the only transformation of self and world that can really happen.
0: Yeah, and I, uh, having uh, listened, having um, heard that, and that was was very well. That was very well done. uh, There clearly is a lot to talk about here because we move into. Uh, forms of religion and um, again how this separation is affecting uh who we are and there's uh this a rich topic uh we have come to the end I, I want to just add to your your uh thoughts on the jesus uh notion of that heaven is within us, and there's no doubt that that is true uh but I think in sort of bringing us together and in closing, I, I would I would add that the idea is is to have to me the idea is to have that change of mindset or the change of heart direction being whatever we're however we're expressing that and to bring that attitude out into the world. It's not something. Uh, it's not something that you you meditate in your. In your room, in your basement, and then you go outside. You don't act any differently. We need to bring this attitude out into the world, uh, and, and change and and change the way we interact with the world and other people. That that to me is is part of it, and that is something that is going to take a while um, to ingrain. But you know, I'm encouraged by uh, the millennials. I'm encouraged by, frankly, some of the support for. Um, Bernie Sanders, even though know, I want to get political here and I'm not necessarily a Bernie Sanders supporter, but the fact that people are listening to somebody who is talking about real change in the cultural, political realm. So in any event, we've come to the end. Um Imota, it's been a pleasure talking to you. We've covered a lot of ground and um, maybe at the end here you could just simply um, tell the listeners how to find your book and how to find out more about you.
1: Sure, thank you and I've enjoyed that conversation as well as as you say it's a very rich topic and uh, a never ending inquiry if you like Really? Um, So yes the book is available on Amazon Um, it's called Radical Awakening um, and you can find out more about my teaching and uh, who I am and where I am by going to my website which is amodama.com a-M-O-D-A-M-A-A dot com.
0: Very good. And th- and thank you once again. And as I said in the beginning of the show, uh, the book, her book, uh, Amona's book, Radical Awakening, is one of the best books in this area. It's thought-provoking, very well written, and something that I think does advance the ball in this area. This is Philip Camella. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you later. Been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, hosted by Philip Camella. To find out more about Philip and his book, The Collapse of Materialism, visit thecollapseofmaterialism.com.